Hi, and welcome to Awake, a Sleeping Beauty audiobook podcast based on the YA fantasy novel of the same name, Awake by Holly Gary. Thanks for joining us. Let's get into the story. Chapter 17 We walked back out to the train station, and I kept expecting Amede to change his mind, but he was completely silent as we walked, as we used the last of our money to buy tickets, and as we stood around talking to Hyacinth, who wasn't coming with us. I can get home more easily by my own methods, he said, with a remote smile. He meant by magic. I'm sorry I can't transport you that way. It's so much faster. I'll meet you in Rennes with my car and drive you the rest of the way. He left us with that promise. Our train wasn't for a couple of hours, so we walked to the nearest little bar and had a simple lunch. Amede didn't speak at all. I focused harder on my ham and butter sandwich than I'd ever focused on anything in my life. If the sandwich became my entire reality, I didn't have to think about anything else. We went back to the station to sit and wait. I was tired. I wanted to go back to sleep, but the bench was too hard and the station too chilly. My brain, now lacking distractions, shuffled through possible things to think about. They were all terrible. Hyacinth doesn't love you. You killed someone. You're going home, back to your old life. Your friend is upset. I clung to that last one turning to Amede. You aren't all right. He sighed. No, I'm not. I wanted to say we'd keep trying to offer more solutions, but it was futile. I need to stop hoping, he said, and come to terms with my life as it is. Not hoping sounded horrible to me, but my despairing heart thought maybe he was right. What was left to hope for? Now that he'd started, it was like floodgates opening. He spoke again, the words rushed and running together. Somehow I knew we wouldn't find him. Once we got here, and he wasn't here, but she was, I just knew. She's killed him, or hidden him like she threatened to, or he's hidden himself because he never wants to see me again. He's angry, or he thinks I love you now, or he thinks we're no good for each other. His voice broke on the last few words, and he turned to me, and he turned to me and hid his face on my shoulder. I felt a few tears fall. I'd been expecting that. He cried silently this time, but his whole body shook with it. I'm so sorry. I had no other words. I just need to leave it be now. He breathed, barely audible. I don't know how I can forget him. You probably can't, I said, and then I realized how unhelpful that was. Tell me a little more about him, I suggested. Share your memories, and maybe then you won't cling to them so tightly. At least this would give me something else to think about, too. You can share them with me, too said Jaime, who'd been listening to all of this. So we sat and waited for the train, and he told us about the time that he'd fallen off a ladder in the garden when he was trying to help Auguste with some repairs, and Auguste caught him mid-air and then just held him for a while, 
He told us about Auguste planting Narcissus flowers in one corner of the garden, because Amédée's middle name was Narcisse, and because they're as sweet as you are. He talked about all the times he'd caught Auguste looking at him before they were even lovers, and the night he'd seen Auguste standing beneath his window, looking up. I opened the window and called down to him, said Amédée. Once again, he seemed far away, remembering. He was so embarrassed, and made some silly excuse about the ivy growing on the walls. My foolish heart beat with envy. At least Auguste had loved him back. At least they'd had a little time together. He continued. Auguste always told him stories about Ile Maurice in the Indian Ocean, where he was born. Only he didn't really remember it. He just told me things his parents had told him. He said they decided to read the book Paul et Virginie together, because it was set on the island, and Auguste had thought it was a bit silly, but Amédée had thought it was romantic, and had cried over the tragic ending. He said he talked to Auguste a lot about his curse, and Auguste always listened, patiently, for as long as he needed. He was the only one who ever comforted me about it. He was the only one who said everything would be all right. Even Hyacinth never said that. Hyacinth always promised that his spell would save me from death, but he couldn't say what would happen after that. So I'd say to Auguste, what if I never wake up? And he'd say, you will. There's someone out there who's destined to save you. Amede gave me a small smile. And I'd say, what if I wake up alone? And he'd say, you won't. I'll be there. He closed his eyes for a long moment. He lied. We never talked about me marrying someone else until the very end, when he said he was going away. I wanted to say, but you aren't marrying someone else. We had never actually decided, though. Did I want to marry him? If neither of us could have the people we really wanted? I was unsure, and it made me nauseated just thinking about it. Could I love him someday? I'd asked myself before and never came up with an answer. I wondered what had transpired between Auguste and Amédée to create such devotion. What was it that had caused Auguste to sleep for 150 years, for his love's sake? What was it that had caused Amédée to travel hundreds of miles looking for him? Was he special? I asked, quietly. I've never known anyone like him. Energetic and clever and sweet, Amédée sighed. But I suppose I haven't known very many people at all. Maybe someday I'll fall in love again. He didn't sound very convinced. I realized his line of thought was probably the same as mine. The train came. I was still so tired. But I didn't sleep. None of us did, this time. We sat silently and watched the countryside pass by. The little villages of Normandie giving way to the similar villages in Bretagne after we'd turned the corner between the two. Near where Mont-Saint-Michel rose up out of the sea 
like a phantom. My thoughts were still spinning. I'd cycled back around to thinking, we absolutely have to find Auguste. It's not even a question. I can't marry him. I can't. Ideas flew through my head. What if he went back to his birthplace, Ile Maurice? Maybe we could look for living relatives of his there. Maybe we could write to some local government authority to ask for help. Maybe we could go to Ile Maurice. I imagined the Indian Ocean would be lovely. Don't be ridiculous, I told myself. But I could finally feel it. That physical pain in my chest. My heart was breaking. Hyacinth met us in Rennes, as he'd promised. This time, I sat in the back with Rémy, eager to avoid conversation with Hyacinth, who seemed to have the same inclination. I couldn't stop myself from staring at him, though. The dark swirls of his hair, the curve of his neck. I'm going to drop Amede off first, he said. He drove up to the castle the back way, like he had once before, but we couldn't get all the way there by car, of course. Amede said, I can walk from here. I'll bid you all good night. I was still worried about him, so I said, I'll walk with you. He started to protest, but I wouldn't hear of him going alone. You should come visit me soon, I said as we walked. At some point, we were going to have to talk about this marriage business. But he'd become my friend, too. I'd be happy to see him. I will, he said. But his thoughts were elsewhere. I wonder if anyone's fixed up the garden yet. It looked so awful when I woke up, not at all like before. It was always so lovely and perfect when... O he shut his mouth firmly. We walked around to the front of the castle, instead of going in the side. The garden still looked badly overgrown, but as we came closer, I noticed a man crouched in one corner of it, pulling weeds. It looks like your aunt hired a new gardener, I said. Amide sighed. The man heard our footsteps, stood, and turned around. Beside me, Amide made a strange, choked noise, and as I turned to see what was wrong, his knees buckled. But before I could react to that, he was running. The man in the garden already had his arms outstretched. He was looking at Amede with the kind of awe and wonder you'd direct towards someone you thought you'd never see again. He seemed nearly ready to cry. And when Amede fell into his arms, one or both of them definitely was crying. The man wrapped strong, brown arms around Amede. He wore an old-fashioned shirt and trousers, with the sleeves and legs rolled up, since it was a hot day. Jet-black curls sprung out from under his straw hat. His face was hidden now in Amede's neck, and I could hear him murmuring something, an apology, or a confession, or a promise, or all three. I turned away. This wasn't for me to see. I wandered back out of the garden, but I lingered there. I wanted to know what had happened. I supposed I already knew, but I wanted to hear it from them. I tried to feel happy for Amede. He's getting his happy ending. 
but I still wouldn't have mine. And then, there he was, coming through the forest. Hyacinth. He smiled at me as he approached. We thought maybe you'd gotten lost, or been stolen away by mischievous sprites. There's still a lot of strange things in these woods. This was the sort of tone he'd used with me before. Were we friends again? I wondered. I said, you'll never guess who's here. He raised an eyebrow. Who? Based on Amede's reaction, I believe it's Auguste. He was in the garden when we walked up. Hyacinth looked surprised. Let's go see, he said. He took my hand, which surprised me and gave me chills. Then he thought the better of it and let go. Anyway, Amede and Auguste were already coming out to us. Amede was smiling, wider than I'd ever seen. Auguste had an arm around Amede's waist, but he was looking straight at me, with wide brown eyes. You must be Lady Chabot, he said. His voice was soft, and his accent was Breton. I owe you a great debt for waking us all. Not at all, I said. I'm happy I could help. Amede, he said it like the name itself was magic, was telling me how you've been all over looking for me. I should have just stayed home, said Amede, giddy. He was coming back to me. Hyacinth was standing beside me, hands in his pockets, with one of his impossibly cool expressions. Who knew what that meant? How ironic, he said. I'm so happy, Amede sighed. Everything's sorted now. I'm staying, Auguste said, by way of explanation. Amede says you and he aren't getting married. No, we aren't. I agreed. It was true. Just like that. If Auguste was back, then we weren't getting married. Hyacinth didn't react to that. I'm very happy for both of you, I said, honestly. Auguste and I traded kisses as he thanked me again, and then Amede let go of him, long enough to wrap me in a tight hug. Thank you, he whispered. You're one of the best friends I've ever had. Celestine, I'll write to you soon. Do, I said. Tell me everything. Tell me what happens with you two. We're going to be together forever, he said, rapturously. I'm never letting him go again. It doesn't seem like he'll ever want to go, I said. We said our goodbyes, and Hyacinth and I walked back to the car in silence. After all that, all our searching in Lille and Cherbourg to come back and find Auguste here so suddenly was shocking, and I was having trouble wrapping my mind around it. Rémy had fallen asleep in the back seat, so the drive back to our village was rather silent. Hyacinth seemed lost in thought, and I was, too, torn between being happy for Amédé and being jealous of his newfound joy. Will I be alone forever? I wondered. No, of course not. My mother would make sure of it. As we drove through our little village and up to the castle, Hyacinth said softly, Your parents are asleep. 
Tomorrow they won't remember that you came home late. Thanks for fixing things again. There was an edge in my voice. I was exhausted and annoyed. He hadn't even asked if we wanted him to do that. I woke Remy, and as he stumbled up to our front door, I stood, looking at Hyacinth, trying to think of something to say. I suppose this is goodbye. Will I ever see you again? Will I ever have a chance with you? Thanks for coming for us, I said, finally. He smiled. You didn't need me. Congratulations on your victory. I couldn't manage to smile back. Good night. I didn't get the impression that our parents were particularly happy to have us back. Maybe they had enjoyed the peace and quiet. But our mother sat down with us the morning after we returned to ask all about the trip. She wanted to know if we'd met anyone interesting. She meant wealthy or well-connected. So Remy told her about Michelle, and she reacted to it better than I might have expected. Not like she thought a newspaper editor's daughter was completely beneath us. We told her about the opera gala, and she nearly swooned. Once upon a time, she'd gone to events like that, but for years now, she'd hardly been anywhere. I wondered if she ever resented her sister for marrying a more successful man, or for living in a place with some actual civilization. She asked questions about Lille, the culture, and what it looked like. Eventually, Remy tired of the conversation and ran off to who knows where. My mother took my left hand and looked it over carefully. She said, I suppose you would have told me if Amede had asked you any significant questions? It was time to tell the truth, unfortunately. There's someone else, I said. She looked up at me sharply, and I quickly rephrased. I mean that Amede cares for someone else. I expected anger and a lot of questions, but instead she gazed at me questioningly, like she was trying to see if I was upset. Finally, she said, Well, he certainly should have said so sooner. He gave us quite the wrong impression, didn't he? She sounded deeply disapproving. Of him, not me. I was relieved. I suppose we just misunderstood, I said. Hmph, she said, and he seemed so nice. I wanted to say he is nice. He can't help loving someone else. But she was on my side, and I needed to keep her there. She started talking about other prospects. You're young yet. There's always my friend Emily's son. God forbid. And you know that Gabrielle's husband has a cousin your age. I sat and listened patiently until she'd run out of things to say. Then I went upstairs and looked out my window, which gave me a view of the village and the river. I couldn't bury myself here again. Not after so much adventure. Not after seeing more of the world. I also couldn't sit around and wait for my mother to marry me off. I started thinking about what to do instead. I had a letter from Amede, two days later. Dear Celestine, The past few days of my life have been utterly magical. I can't even believe all this is real. I've spent nearly every moment with Auguste. 
We've both apologized for our fight, and he's apologized for leaving. He really did go to Cherbourg after waking up. He had planned to sail for America. But once he got there, he says, he realized that he couldn't leave without at least seeing me again, seeing if I was all right after the curse was broken. He says he hadn't expected me to take him back. He thought I'd still be angry and maybe not even still in love with him. Can you believe that? He knew that I had gone away somewhere with you. He didn't know where. So he assumed that I had fallen in love with you, and he was miserable about it. But when he saw me, he could tell from the way I looked at him that I loved him and forgave him. Everything's been completely perfect. We've both promised to stay together for the rest of our lives. He's quite as shocked by the 20th century as I am. It's nice to talk to someone about that. Someone who understands. No one else here at the castle has been anywhere. They're still very much stuck in 1798. Auguste says he still can't believe that I went all the way to Lille and Cherbourg to look for him. And I told him I would have gone much farther than that. And he says he would have, too, if our situations had been reversed. I informed my aunt that you rejected my proposal of marriage. I hope you don't mind that I blamed it on you. I thought she'd accept it more easily that way. She obviously knew about Auguste and me already, although she hasn't said so. We've been discussing our futures. We will have an inheritance from her, but we've observed that there are few men of leisure in the 20th century. Everyone works. We think we'd be happier working, too, only we don't quite know what to do. We'll keep discussing it. Please write me back. I hardly know anyone in this century, and I want to stay friends with you and Rémy forever. Let's try to see each other soon. Also, about Hyacinth, you said you aren't in love with him, and I don't even know if you still fancy him, but I'm sorry for saying that fairies don't marry humans. I realize that might have grieved you. I've observed that he's quite fond of you. He talked about you when you weren't around especially those first few days after I woke up. He kept telling me about how wonderful and intelligent you were and what a good partner you would make for me. I don't know if he would ever take a human lover, but if he would, I think you'd have a better chance than anyone of winning his heart. I wish you luck, Celestine. Your friend always. Amede de Tremoya. Thank you for listening to Chapter 17 of Awake by Holly Gary. If you're enjoying yourself, feel free to leave us a review and share us with other book lovers. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AwakeThePodcast. And you can follow Holly, the author, on Twitter at HollyGary7 and on TikTok at HollyAnnWriter. That's Anne spelled with an E. You can look forward to Chapter 18 coming out next week. In Chapter 18, Celestine takes a step towards her future and has a long overdue conversation. Folks, that's it. Chapter 18 is the last chapter. Can you believe it? It feels like we just started. Tune in next week for the final chapter of Awake. Until then, happy reading, and we hope your week is fantastical.